0: Everybody and welcome to another my Ruby story. This week we're talking to Pedro Cavalheiro. Yep, that's me. Um, now you're you're kind of an interesting, I guess, uh, mix of cultures. Uh, you live in Germany, but you're from Brazil. Yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had you on episode 390 of Ruby Rogues, and we talked about creating a Heroku-like deployment solution with Docker, uh, which kind of had a whole bunch of my brain uh, melting. Anyway, this episode uh we typically talk to people and kind of find out what they're working on and you know how you got into coding and things like that. So yeah, but before we do that, why don't you go ahead and let people know a little bit more about yourself, uh what you like, who you, you know, what you're into these days. It it could be code related, doesn't have to be. Yeah, just let us know who you are. Yeah,
1: sure. Um so as I said my name is Pedro. Uh I am, I come from Brazil. But uh, I'm living in Germany for the past, now I think it's around eight months. I just moved here last year. Um, And I'm also, I'm still working with software. (laughs) Uh, I started more or less 10 years ago working with that. Um, I was always a lot into computers and into gaming and other stuff like technology. Uh, and so for me, it was not a surprise to be, to end up being a software developer. Um, um, I worked in a few, yes? I was
0: <laughs> going to say, do you want to just tell us that story real quick about how you got into software? Yeah,
1: actually this, um, uh, before going really into software, um, I was, as I said, uh, I was, since I was very young, I was really into um like computers and uh gaming and trying to understand how stuff worked and a lot of i used to to disassemble my my parents uh all, all electronic stuff that i could find and nice. <laughs> put my hands on so like this old radios and tvs and everything so i was always my my eyes used to shine when i uh you know, had the, the possibility to take one of those stuff and just disassemble them um everything so i think this somehow this, this kind of made me um choose this path of becoming a software developer but how did i start it um i was i was since i always I always liked computers uh, i ended up working with that but in, in one of those um computer shops doing maintenance like formatting pcs installing windows and configuring printers and stuff like that. But uh, back in the day when I was living in Brazil, uh, and my, my uh, when I was a teenager, um, it was fun to, to work with that, but I didn't really, I, w- I wasn't really able to get a career working with that because um, it's like these very like common jobs, at least for m- most of them that we had there. Um, so after working with that for let's say a couple of, a couple of years I think like maybe two years, um, I kind of got uh, I got frustrated with that uh, about not being able to really grow in a career um, working with that. So at that moment I remember that. Some years ago, uh, I had a friend, I, actually he's still my friend, but uh, I have a friend who, who was a software developer and he, has, he had his own company. And he, once he told me, man, you, you have good logic. You, you should try to work with software. Like I will work with software and I can earn quite good money. And I think you might be, be a good, a good uh, developer as, as well. So he, he lent me a book um, I think it was about, the book was PHP 4 or something like that, uh, web development with PHP 4. And I started reading that book, but it didn't make any sense for me. It was like, wow, okay, we have this while and this for and all this stuff. So what do I do with this, this stuff? Like, how, how can I make it, it work right? So I really didn't get much like touch by that by that book. It was like maybe four years before that, that moment in time. So when I've, I got frustrated, I remember that day, I was like, hmm, maybe I should give it another another try of trying to, to work with that that stuff. So I talked with him, uh, with my friend again, and asked him, man, how, how do I start with this? How can I really try to go deep into that? Because I explained to him that I couldn't really understand much of what to do with that book and how, how do I make things work with that? And then he suggested me to do a small um, like programming course, like it is more or less like a bootcamp, but not so strong as a bootcamp. So that's what I did. I studied programming, like basic web development, like PHP, JavaScript, uh, um, basic databases, and some UML and stuff like that for, I think, like six months, a couple of times a week and then after that, uh, I was just like some weeks after finishing the course, I was able to get my first, my first job. So it was quite not a very very fancy story, not very like, oh, my God, so it, a very um, impressive story. It was like a very normal way of getting into it. I got frustrated by my career and tried to get into this new career and managed to do that. So this is how I started.
0: Nice. It's interesting, too. I mean um – I talked to people who got in 10 years ago like you did and it seems like a lot more of them went the more traditional get a computer science degree route and things like that. But as I talk to more people who have gotten into programming more recently, um, I find that a lot more of them kind of either were self-taught or went through a course or went through a boot camp. And so, yeah, you know, your, your story is interesting in that it happened 10 years ago. Yeah. But, but it, you know, it's, it's much less unique now because there are so many resources out there for people to go learn from.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I also think this is interesting. Like nowadays, it's very easy to to find people who doesn't have like a real graduation, like an um, academic title, but uh, they are very good professionals. They they are like very well known in the community. Uh, and this is quite interesting. Back in the day, it's like, it, it happened. I have some friends that work in, the, in this area same amount of time as me. Um, but I think like for formal software development, it was more common to really go into graduation and like study three, four, five years and then start working. Um, in in my case, I actually, I have, I have a degree. Um, it's, it's not like a, it's similar. It looks like a bachelor, but in Brazil, it's a little shorter course. Uh, it's like, it's a two two and a half years course. Um, and, and I did it after working, like when I was in my, I think in my fifth or sixth year working already and I decided to, okay, let me, I think maybe it will be good for me to, to do this kind of, to do this, 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 um, curse, this graduation. Because I knew that at the time that if I someday I uh, wanted to work outside of the country, like get a get a, a an offer from another country, that would help me. And
0: indeed it helps, so here I am. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. In the yeah. US we call a two year degree an associate's degree. Oh yeah, I think it's something like that. So yeah, something similar to that. And that makes sense. Was that in um in computer related stuff or yeah.
1: Yeah, it was it was um, um, software um, system analysis and software development was the name of the course. It was basically a lot of different uh, programming languages, a lot of um, theory in methodologies and um, how to plan stuff, how to to think about how to build your system, software, your systems, and like very things that we do in a day-to-day basis, is, say, basis.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So how long were you doing, it's, uh, I guess your first programming job was what, PHP then? Is that? Yeah,
1: yeah, it was PHP. I worked with PHP for five years, I think, more or less. And then I, 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 I was part of a small I had some friends who they are were starting a small startup, a project, side project. And then they invited me to, to go work with them. But at that time, um, um I was like a junior developer and then I I didn't um I wasn't responsible for ch- uh, choosing how would we work? Which technology would we use and everything? There, was, uh, there were other developers that were called as well. I didn't know them at the time. And they were like senior uh, than me and they choose for us to use Ruby on Rails. And at the time I, never, I have never worked with Ruby on Rails, but I, I've, I've, I have read about it. And so I was kind of curious to work with that. So I was like, hmm, let's give it a try i was actually trying to to learn it somehow maybe that's my chance so i worked with that for like 6 to 8 months um in in my spare time and then uh i i left the project because i didn't have more, more time i had to do other stuff and like i had to to quit and then i stopped working with, with rails and continued working with php for i think more one year more or less and then in the in this the company that i was working at that time we got to a point that we had a very bad uh, written software uh and it was a very legacy software uh, had no tests uh like this very problematic uh piece of code and then we decided that we we wanted to rewrite that 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 code that that software and then uh we had the Um, fabulous idea of rewriting it from scratch uh, in a new language uh,
0: that no one knew at the time. (laughs) That sounds like a terrific idea. exactly. (laughs) I say that having never ever done that myself.
1: Yeah and I I think if I'm not wrong, yeah and we also decided everyone when when it was uh, in that time when we were starting to talk about microservices maybe I think four or five years ago. I don't remember exactly when. Um, oh,
0: man. And then we decided, <laughs> let's do microservices with Rails. It's just, It will be awesome. And so that, it, that is the ultimate time suck. I mean, exactly. it can be done right and you really can benefit from it, but it's really hard to get right. And if you don't yeah. know what you're doing, oh, it's man.
1: Like, and everyone says, okay, you want to do microservices? Do it, but don't start with it build a monolith, and then after some time, start extracting some small parts into microservices. And then we know we will be able to do it from scratch, so let's do it from, from day zero. And then we did it, and I, uh, it's not a surprise that we failed in the, uh, most, the most worst way that was possible. <laughs> I think we lost maybe six, eight months of, of work in a team of, let's say, I think five developers. It was a total waste of time, but at that time uh, we were kind of lucky because then we uh, the company hired another developer that was like a he was meant to be the the head of engineer of our our team and he has a deep knowledge about Rails so he kind of acted like our mentor and he he taught to us um, like a lot of stuff so I worked with him for three years and my I, I basically made a huge uh, jump in my career, being able to work not only with Rails at the time, but also about software ar- architecture and um, like good practices, community, how to write good code and, and things like that. So it was, it was this, this was quite interesting what happened at that time, because we started like completely, um, we, we had no idea of what we were doing um, when they, well, I remember the the board of the company asking us, how much time do we need for to rewrite the whole the whole software, and we were like, mm, maybe six months, and then um, it took. They, they, in the end, they gave us like three months to to rewrite it in the this language. This is the, the, the receipt of us of the success. Six months
0: was optimistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: And then in the end, we, we lost to six months or some more, uh, some more time. And then when, when we, we actually started rewriting with this new guy that, that was teaching us how to do it, um, we, I think it took like one year or one, one year and two months, something like that. I don't remember the exact time, but it was close to one year that it took with more people in the team. So it was like we, we, oh, yeah. we really had no idea of what we were doing that time. <laughs> But in the end, it was it was a success. We we managed to rewrite it, and it's it is running. Um, even nowadays, it's still running and it's quite good. So it's it it was a success in the end.
0: <laughs> and was that in Brazil or was that in yeah, Germany? In, Brazil. yeah in Brazil? Brazil.
1: It was a uh, startup, a small startup that I that I joined some years ago, and then I left it, went to another company, worked for less than a year, and then. I came here to Germany to work with Rayos as well.
0: How did you wind up in Germany?
1: Um, my family, I have like German um, ancestrals. Um, my fa- my family came from Germany to Brazil um, around 200 years ago. And then, um, I, like I am, I'm not German citizen. Uh, I don't have like a passport, German passport, but we have like... Um, Like my grandmother speaks German, my mother speaks German. We have this, I I live in, back in Brazil, I used to live in the south of Brazil. And we have like a strong um, German cultural and and, um, a lot of immigrants, uh, like old immigrants there. So it's kind of like a very Germanic place, the south of Brazil. Uh, One interesting fact is that like the city that I live right now is called Hamburg. And the city that I was born in, and, and the one that I was living in, is called New Hamburg, because it was oh founded nice. by German about <laughs> like 200 years ago. <laughs> and so, since my family is quite German, and I had a lot of friends who are German, and like a lot of speak the people who speak German, and so I, I was quite uh, having contact with with German traditions was very uh, common for me. So I think during my childhood is kind of uh, triggered this. Curiosity of me of oh, maybe someday going to Germany, seeing how how things are there, um, seeing how how are my like my origins, the origins of, of my family. So this is something that was always with me. This this feeling of like mm, maybe maybe one day I can go there. Um, I wasn't very sure of, of about moving and living here, but I really wanted to to come here to Germany and to. To try my life here to see what what Germany has to offer me, and then when in two thousand and seventeen um, i went to i spent one month in in Lisbon with some friends and then I got one week from this from this whole month and then I visited some other countries I went to France to Netherlands and then I ended up uh, going to to Germany to, to to here to Hamburg and to other another city, and then I, I had a, a couple of friends who lived here, and then I visited them, and I just fell in love with the city. I was it was just in, near the Christmas uh, time in the in the year year um, I think it was the end of November or something like that, and the city was like all Christmas decorations and. Uh, lights and this Christmas fairs in the streets, markets. It was like uh, incredible. Um, I, I, I couldn't have... Um, I, I remember when I was like walking the streets and taking a look at the Christmas markets, I was like speechless. Uh, I was completely astonished with, with some... so how can a town be so beautiful, beautiful? and like this good um, mood and everyone having fun and everything. So I was like, hmm, I, yeah, I think I, I must come here and spend some time here. And then this guy, he was also a software developer and he was working in the same company that I'm working right now. And basically he uh, referred me to uh, the company and then I did the, the hiring process and got in. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, this is a very, uh, quite boring story to be honest. <laughs> no, I think
0: it's, it's interesting. I have. I have similar feelings about France. My grandmother uh, immigrated to the U.S. from France. Mm. Um, inst- interesting. Interestingly, by way of Argentina, Paraguay, Canada, and then finally to the U.S. Um, and so it's, it's interesting, you know, being able to go back to the areas where, um, you know, where, where your roots are. And exactly. I, I've been to where my grandfather grew up in Canada, but I haven't been to where my grandmother grew up. And so that, that's interesting to me to go back there. Um, you know, I also have ancestors back, um, I think my great, great grandmother immigrated from uh, Denmark.
1: Mm, That's nice.
0: Um, my, so my grandfather, um, his parents were British, so they, they immigrated to Canada from England and yeah. So I kind of want to go back and see those areas that they're from, but (laughs) I haven't been able to yet. Um, one thing that I'm curious about, so did you already speak German when you went to Germany then? Because your family spoke German? Mm,
1: no, uh, some some words, some small phrases. Um, I, I'm used to listening to German because my, my grandmother speaks German, uh, but I really can't speak German. Now I'm, I did like four months of classes, German classes before coming here, and then I came here, moved, and then I started learning like again and, and continued, but I had to stop because when you got here as a, as a, um, a foreigner, it is quite complicated, like, especially in, I think, in this, the big cities of, of Germany, Hamburg, Berlin, uh, Munich. Uh, it's very difficult to to get a flat, to, to like, really settle down here. So, uh, I had to stop for, like, three months to arrange everything that was happening with me, like, going to the, the consulate, doing my visa stuff, and then finding a flat and moving, and then, like, wow, it was, it was a crazy, crazy time, the first months that I spent here. So... This, this I, I could finished everything that I had to do regarding my my staying here in uh now in January, so by the end of January, I started studying again so now now I'm doing German classes. I can speak some stuff already. I can understand like train the train announcements uh, and um, like ask for food, ask for drinks and stuff like that, but i really I really can't ha- like have a conversation in German um apart from like just a few basic, basic, basic sentences. I really plan to to start to study and to, to be fluent in German, but I think it will take some time because German is not a, not a very simple language, it's not very easy, but it's, it's possible. I have a lot of friends in here that they came like maybe two, three years ago and they speak perfect German. It's just right. a matter of really putting some effort into that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So do they speak English at your office then?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's the the company is German. Uh, uh I work for Xing. Uh they are like a social network for um professional um connections. And their the their um market is basically German. So they they have they exist only in Germany, Austria and uh Switzerland. And um so their customers are german so the the the, the website is german uh, their product is german everything is german the company itself the official language is english but i think I, i'm not sure about these numbers but i think more than half of the of the total employees are german um the, the people from other countries are mostly people related to technology so developers uh testers um architects and people uh, from technology they, because since there's like this uh, lack of of um, professionals here in europe not in a real way they kind of have to import everyone so I think they had to change the company to speak English mostly because of the the people that are from outside so we we speak english uh it's quite funny because in my in my my team we we are like a twelve uh twelve in my team. Six of them are German. Me, I have, there's me and another another guy that's Brazilian sits on, on my side. So we speak part of the time when, when we are talking to each other, we speak Portuguese and then we are talking to everyone else. We are um, speaking English, but the German people, they sometimes they speak German between them and then everyone else that doesn't that's not German. We, we are, everyone is learning German. So we kind of try to, to focus and try to understand what they are saying. And sometimes we get a word and then we repeat. And then we, we, can't, we try to, to um, get into their conversation and be part of it. But we are mostly annoying them with that, actually. <laughs> so it's kind of half English, half Portuguese, half listening to German, something like
0: that. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I lived in Italy for two years. And, uh, nice. Nice. Um, they gave us eight weeks of language training and then sent us. <laughs> so, you know, you get there. Italian? I do speak Italian. Oh, that's nice. Um, I was there as a missionary for the for, for the church that I belong to. Oh. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, anyway, it was just interesting because, you know, after like two or three months, you're really kind of getting it. Um, yeah. Of course, I was a missionary. So, I was out there talking to people in Italian all day. Oh and, that's, and I think that's
1: awesome. If you really I think
0: I think that's what made the difference is just yeah, just the practice. So
1: exactly, exactly. If you, but, if you really have the opportunity to really talk and be challenged to to listen to a lot of people and with different accents and everything, I think this is the way that really we'll learn and be able to be fluent in a language.
0: Hey folks, let me tell you about a really cool thing. It's the dot tech domains. Listen, you work in tech, I work in tech, we all do things that affect technology. So why not have it reflected in our domain names? If you head over to get.tech or head over to your favorite domain registrar, you can pick up a .tech domain right now. In fact, if you want to get show notes for this show, you can check them out at myrubystory.tech. Yeah, that's the other thing that's interesting about that particular aspect of life is that um, I think here in the U.S., we... I'm trying to think. We, we kind of get used to the accents that are here, but the accents in the U.S. are just – they're just kind of driven by the way people talk, and so they're they're pretty similar to each other. They are different, but they're pretty similar. Some people, it's really heavy, but most people, you know, they, they kind of have the mid- Midwestern accent that I do, and and so if you're learning English, you can pretty much understand people across the U.S., and then you get, you, you know, across the world, then you get the British and, you know, Australian and, you know, other accents that way. But um, I think, I don't think people realize within the U.S. that in parts of Europe, they actually have different dialects. And so, for example, in Italy, um, the dialects are wildly different from Italian. Um, some of the dialects in northern Italy are also closer to German than they are to Italian. Yeah. Exactly. So the accents, when they speak Italian to you, are really different. And so, um, so I started in the middle of Tuscany, and I understood almost everybody, but there was a guy that worked in a newsstand that we walked past every day, and he'd stop us and wave at us and talk to us, and I didn't understand him for the first four months that I, I was in <laughs> because he was from Naples, and yeah. his accent was just so different from people in the middle of Tuscany, which is... Um, Italian is actually the, the Florentine dialect, right? So, um, if you go to Florence, the, you're speaking the dialect when you're speaking Italian. Mm. Um, but yeah, anyway, so it was just interesting. So I understood pretty much everybody, you know, in town except him, (laughs) some of the the other people that, you know, I moved to a different part of Italy, you know, and, and, and taught there and same thing, right? It was, their accent was uh, slightly different, but again, you know people had come up from southern Italy or down from northern Italy, like the the deep north, and their accents were different enough to where it took a little bit of work to get to understand them.
1: Yeah, it's the same as um, – in German it's the same. Right? I don't know how many uh, dialects we have here. Um, there's there's the accent and their dialect. And basically a dialect is a completely new language. Um, it's, it, it's really difficult. I, I don't speak German, but what, what I've spoken with people here, they really – they can't understand each other if they speak in different dialects. There's this, the, uh, we, we have the Hochdeutsch, that is the main german like, base language. And if you go, there are some cities close to here, to here in Hamburg that they speak Plattdeutsch. That's okay, it's, it's Deutsch, but it's a completely different, completely different language, so they can't understand yeah. each other. It's like, how about you're living in the same country? How can't you understand each other? This is quite weird. We, at, least, at least in Brazil, we don't have it. We have, as the same as, as in the US, you have accents, but you can understand everyone. Depending, it doesn't matter where you are in the country, you can understand everyone.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so it, it makes a lot of fun, I think. <laughs> but, yeah. And in Italy, most of the. Um, most of the dialects are heavily Latin based yeah. just like Italian is. And so you can kind of understand some of them, but you know, some of them are really, really, really different. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, I want to kind of get back to uh, talking about Ruby here for a minute. Um, yeah. When we had you on the show, we were talking much more about like kind of an ops setup, right? we were talking about creating a, a Heroku like environment. Yeah. Um, so how much ops do you do versus how much programming?
1: Um, nowadays, um, almost no ops. Um, I still have to do a do uh, deal a little bit with um, some like configurations, but like what I most do nowadays is having to configure um, like Jenkins jobs, for example, having to write some very base basic shell commands and stuff like that. I I mean, in my my daily work, um, we, in this company that I'm working right now, they have their their own infrastructure. And we, as developers, we have uh, little to no contact with that. Actually, we can define, we can do things on our own. Like I want, like, for example, if I wanted to uh, install a new queue system and then... Uh, manage it on my own, on my team, and then um, like try to use something different. I could do that. I'm I'm allowed to do that. But um, since I just got to the company and to my team, um, I'm first trying to get used to everything because since it's a huge company, they do this microservices stuff and there are like more than 100 different applications running uh, concurrently, and um, it's quite complex, the architecture. So I'm not really trying to uh, change stuff or to innovate a lot because I really want to first be comfortable working with the current set of technology uh, tools we have right now. So answering your question, um, I, have, I have very, very, almost no contact with, with ops nowadays. I still like it. Uh, but I I can only do some small automation scripts, some Jenkins jobs, some stuff like that. No real uh going to servers and configuring stuff and writing like installing Linux and configuring that kind of stuff nowadays, only for, for fun at home, at work no no more. Just more coding and we we are rewriting uh parts of the application that was written. We had the the application that I work right, right now is uh, it's also kind of a legacy application it has like seven to eight years and the, the, the whole team changed a few times. So we have different patterns of architecture, uh, architecture, architectures. Oh, wow, That's gotta be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I could say fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I say fun. I'm not on that team.
1: Okay, okay. <laughs> it's a challenge, but it's, it's something that we are trying to deal with, and we are like one of the new the newest team and we are trying to kind of uh, make everything works more or less in the same way, so we are trying to rewrite it so now lately I'm a lot into trying to understand and to think about a good architecture for for the the application itself, so I'm kind of coding some some part of time but also a lot into um, flow diagrams and trying to understand business rules and mapping stuff to try to clean up the software a little bit. That's what I'm mostly, I, I think I've been working like in one, in refactoring one single feature for the past, I think four weeks or so. Oh, yeah. I'm, tr- I'm, I'm basically mapping what it does to try to understand what, what it, it actually does now, now, nowadays and then try to map what we wanted to do, and then rewrite it and refactor it. That's a lot of work. It's sometimes it's quite frustrating, but it's it's, it's being interesting because it's it is a challenge. Um, and, and it's a very complex system, and having to work with that, having to understand what's going on, having to follow everything it's like it's it's interesting <laughs> overwhelming, yeah. overwhelming sometimes.
0: I'll tell you. Uh my attention spans about a half a day. If it takes more than half a day, I better be about done. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, know that I can't even imagine. I know that still.
1: Yeah. No, but I know that it's like, if, if uh, at least f- what I'm thinking, uh when I, when I face this kind of situations, that uh, someone, someone has to do it. Um, if it's not me, it will be someone else but someone yeah. will be courageous to really dive deep into this kind of mess and try to understand and try to make it better so i'm trying to do my best at that, that moment it's it is complicated it's difficult but it's it's something that can be can be very good yeah to really manage to do it i may fail in the end
0: but i'll try <laughs> well and and that's that's where things move forward right is you know, you take ownership of something and go for it. Yeah. And, you know, that's where you're going to learn. That's where you're going to add value to the company you work for. And it's, it's a really important outlook for people to have in programming.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It is um, this is exactly what I said, uh, ownership. Um, I think that maybe this was what wasn't present in the previous uh, teams. I'm not saying I can be just telling something that I really don't know because I don't know the, the previous guys. But uh this is something that we are trying to do. Me and my team, we are like very really trying to make things better.
0: Yeah, that's one of the core values that we have here at DevChat.tv and it's really interesting to see people take ownership of stuff. I mean, um our one of our editors, you know, he gets really involved and, you know, it's like, hey, you could do this to improve the audio quality. You could do these kinds of things and you know, and, and our other editor is terrific too. Like he just went, he just went on vacation and uh, I, I think it was a vacation. I sure hope it was a vacation <laughs> <It> was <laughs> something else, but anyway. Um, but yeah, so he took off for the weekend and he made sure that everything was lined up and ready to go so that somebody else could take over what he couldn't get to over the weekend. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. You know, it's the same thing with some of these other, things that crop up right so um our production manager is really good at taking ownership of stuff and it 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 makes a huge difference right because then it's not just oh well i didn't get it done because i didn't have enough time or i didn't get it done because it was somebody else's job you know everybody takes ownership of stuff
1: yeah really care about about what you're doing yep yes so
0: do you have any other side projects you're working on now or Um, nowadays learning German is my main (laughs) project, I think, (laughs) because it takes a lot
1: of time. Uh, Yeah, it does. But no, uh, I went to go uh, some, some, um, I think two years ago, I started learning um, Elixir, uh, Mm -hmm. but then I kind of stopped. But nowadays um, we're starting some small side projects in in the company. Uh, in my team with Elixir and since it's something that I'm looking at maybe I'll start digging into Elixir in the, the next uh, moments but right now I'm not doing any um, software development related project, side project. Um, I don't have much time to do that right now because it's I'm just moved here and a lot of stuff to do so it's quite complicated. One, yeah, one nice. thing that I want to do also um, in 2015, um, I was uh, I gave some classes. I was a teacher for um, around six months. Mm-hmm. It was an amazing experience to to teach people and to try to make them learn stuff. It was a um, software development course, and it was uh, it was I was I was very. Um, amazed with the experience. It was very good. And this is something that I really want to do um, when I have the opportunity again to maybe, not not sure if in, here in Germany, but in anywhere, to be able to teach people again and to have this exchange of knowledge because at the same time that, the same time that you are teaching and explaining something, you are also learning stuff from them and you, are, you have to push yourself harder to learn something to be able to explain it in a simple way. So it was a very interesting thing. I hope someday in the, the near future, I'll be able to do some kind of stuff like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of what I get out of the podcasts. In fact, um, the way you were talking about this mentor that you had for a few years, and then the way you do it, we're just talking about the teaching and learning. I mean, we started Ruby Rogues almost eight years ago. And my career and my ability to write code just grew leaps and bounds as soon as we started the show, because I was talking to people that were, you know, miles ahead of me in their ability to code in Ruby. And I was just absorbing all of this knowledge, right? We weren't actually even coding together, but it it made that big kind of a difference. And sometimes it was me teaching them things. And a lot of times it was them teaching me things. So yeah, I I definitely identify with that. Um, if you want to learn Elixir, I'm also going to recommend that you listen to our Elixir Mix podcast. That's mm. on Jet and you can find that at ElixirMix.com.
1: Ah, yeah, good, good. I'll take a look at that.
0: yep yeah, next week we're talking to Jose Valim, who's the guy that created Elixir. So, yeah, yeah. I have a friend who,
1: who right now, uh, I think today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. Not sure if it's two, or two or three days. Uh, there's an Elixir conference uh, happening in Prague. And oh, nice. today was uh, the speech, the keynote from, from José Valin. So my friend, my friend this is also Brazilian, was there. And I was like, oh, my God, look at there, José. <laughs> <laughs> yep. José Valin is a Brazilian as well. So we are like kind of proud of, of, of being Brazilians at, at this time. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, the way that lined up, actually. So we, we interviewed José on Ruby Rogues. Like five years ago or something, uh, when he first created Elixir, when we talked to him about Elixir. That was what the episode was about. I'll put a link to that one in the show notes as well. But uh, anyway, so um, and he he he'd been in the Ruby community for a long, long, long time. Yes, yes. And um, let me find that episode real quick. But yeah, um, so yeah, we I went to CodeMash, not CodeMash, um, CodeBeam. Um, in san francisco i've heard of that. and um, you know he he did one of the keynotes there as well, but then they announced the Erlang uh, Foundation for the Erlang and Erlang languages and um, anyway, so of course me being me i'm I, I've decided that I, I can't afford to be shy because I just don't get what I, I don't get as much of what I want when I'm shy. <laughs> so I went and I sat down on the front row and that's where all the people from the foundation were sitting and getting up, you know, as they took turns presenting their different parts of the uh, Erlang Foundation. So, um, you know, Francesco who works for Erlang Solutions, he gets up and he, you know, he says his piece and then, um, you know, he and Jose and a bunch of other people are talking and, you know, they keep coming up and sitting down. And finally, uh, Jose winds up sitting next to me because I had like five people sit next to me through the whole presentation. Right. So Jose sits down and I'm like, hey, how's it going? He's like, fine. I'm like, I'm Chuck. And I showed him my badge because um, people see Charles Max Wood, and they, you know, if they've been in the Ruby community for a while or if they've been on Ruby Rogues like he had, they'll recognize the name. And so he's like, oh, hi. And then he's like, hey. <laughs> yeah, oh, hello <laughs> you. hello there. And I know who you are. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I've been trying to email you. We need to get you on the Elixir podcast. He's like, he's like okay. So that's how that <laughs> Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> it's, it's easier to corner people when they can't get away because they're, they're in person. <laughs> that's how I got DHH on, the, on uh, when I interviewed him the first time. So same deal. Uh,
1: you interviewed DHH as well.
0: Wow. We've had DHH on Ruby Rogue's twice and I did another show called Rails Coach and I we had DHH on that one once. Oh, I have and to watch that. That one same deal we uh I was at Rails Comp. It was during the second keynote. So he gave the first keynote. It was during the second keynote and I was walking up and I saw a seat open next to him so I just sat down. And I said, "I want you to come on my podcast." And he looked at me like <laughs> okay and then he did <laughs> well that's it and that's that was it wow. nobody knew who i was at that one so <laughs>
1: completely shaking of being
0: so nervous i imagine <laughs> yeah the 50th podcast i ever did dhh and that's how it happened anyway congratulations yeah it's it's been fun <laughs> anyway um i'm gonna push us along to pics but before we do that uh how do people find you online
1: um, I have my website that basically shows my social network, so it's easy if, if you just go there and follow the links. Uh, it's P uh, P E Cavalheiro. Um, I won't pronounce that. I won't, I won't spell that, but uh, I'll, I'll put the link on the on the on the description, yeah. uh, and there you can find my my LinkedIn, my Facebook, my Twitter, my everything, my mail. I think even. Don't send me a spam, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I already got enough. <laughs> yeah. And then, yep. uh, yeah, yep. that's, that's, that's the easiest way to, to get in contact with me by any ways. I don't use much um, Facebook and this social networks, but I have it. Uh, it's quite kind of inactive nowadays. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll get the notification and I answer um, whenever
0: possible. Nice. Well, um, yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, yeah, let's do some picks. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a minute. <laughs> you have some things you want to shout out about on the show?
1: Um, something what? Sorry.
0: So, do you have some things you want to shout out about on the show for picks?
1: perks. Mm, mm, let's think. I didn't think about anything about that.
0: That's okay. Is there a TV show you're into these days? You really enjoying?
1: I'm doing I'm I'm doing online uh language classes in a website. Oh, cool. It's very interesting. It's a German um language learning tool called lingoda.com. I think it's they are German. Um and it's actually quite interesting because it's a real class. You have a teacher and you have other students, and you go into this classroom and you have an actual class, but online, and you can do whenever you want, like you have Total flexibility in times, so this is something that if someone is trying to learn a new language and doesn't have time to go to a school but wants to have this teacher figure, um, that's that's some suggestion. So that's that's a good one. And TV, I ju- actually I just bought a TV three days ago. I didn't have a TV here, <laughs> so I just I installed it a few days ago, and then I'm now I'm starting to. I didn't watch much. German TV because they speak German and I don't understand it. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm really looking forward to watch the last season of Game of Thrones and stuff like that. It's very best-selling best-sellers um, series series. Um, yeah, but <laughs> that's that's most of it. I don't have much time to leave nowadays because I'm mostly working or learn, learning German. And now I'm doing. I started doing. Um, Pilates because um, working seated all day long can really hurt your back. So I'm trying to fix it a little bit because I'm starting to get some pain in my back in the past few months. So I don't have much time to do anything. <laughs> nice. But yeah, it's been very interesting to, to to work in here. It's completely different from from coming from South America, from a developer development developing country to one of the strongest economies in the world, and it's. Everything's so different in here. It's like, if you want to to come to France, you should you should go because it's. You live in in states. It's a very nice country, but anyway, I think Europe is very different from from the Americas, Amer- South American, North American, everything. Uh, if you've never been there, so it's nice. Go
0: for it. <laughs> very cool. Yeah, I I lived in Italy for two years. I've been to Amsterdam. Um, I'd like to go see more of Europe, but if you come to Hamburg give me a call <laughs> sounds good yeah if I ever go to Hamburg I want to have a hamburger and hamburger yeah yeah <laughs> um, so I've got a couple of picks one is and this is something that uh, you know since we talked about um, my time in Italy off and on um, the the church um, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, they built a temple in Rome and, uh, you know, they, they've been talking a lot about it lately. Um, and I, I've just, I really, I'm I'm actually really sad that I missed going to when they dedicated the temple. But you can go check it out. It's actually really, really cool. They've done some things that they haven't really done for other temples. Um, one of them is, is they have the Christus statue, which is, um, I guess is in the Church of Our Lady in Denmark, is the original. Mm-hmm. Um, but they scanned the... The Christus statue, and then they scanned the sculptures of all of the apostles that are there as well. So they're they're the ele- eleven of the twelve original apostles and Paul. I guess I guess the sculptor didn't do one of Judas. He replaced him with Paul. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so they have that, and then they have just the architectural stuff and the the art. And anyway, it it is amazing if you're just looking for some interesting um, art and architecture and things like that. Um, you know, that it, it's just, just amazing, um, what they've pulled together there. And it has some particular special meaning for me because I spent so much time teaching the gospel there. Um, and then Is this a specific church in there. Yeah. It's, it's the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. A lot of people call us Mormons.
1: Uh, uh, yes, yes, yes.
0: That's, yeah. I so, heard, so
1: yeah, that's, I, knew I knew it by God. that name. mm mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, and then the other pick that I have really quickly, um, and I don't really have a good link for it. I'm going to put some pictures up when I pull it together, probably have some, like, uh, Instagram videos and stuff like that. Um, But I'm working on a podcasting booth that I can take to conferences. And so uh, if you're going to be, if anyone's going to be at ng I'm going to try and get it to RubyConf um, and possibly ElixirConf. So if I can work that out, then I'll take it there. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna open it up so that any you know any other developers who have podcasts want to record interviews, they can come. They mm, yeah. can do it do we, during the, the 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 conference? You mean like during the conference? The yeah, time. I'm gonna try and uh, have them let me set it up in a in the in a public space, and then people walking by they can hear the people inside you know talking and yeah. That is very nice. Yeah, I would I would go there
1: <laughs> yeah. for sure. It's nice.
0: All right. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. I actually have another interview right now, so yeah, sure, I've got to jump off. But thanks for coming, Pedro. Thank you, thank
1: you for sure. There was one thing that it was fun fact about me before becoming a developer. I tried to be a designer, but I failed in the most worst way possible. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Luckily I, for me,
1: I went into software. But <laughs>
0: yeah, it's funny. I talk to a lot of people, and they're like. I, I I've never been a good designer. I'm pretty well convinced that most people could be taught to be a decent designer. I'm I'm yeah. pretty sure I could be, but I've just spent so much time doing it the, uh, doing other things like programming. That yeah, I'm just not I'm not good at it. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that's nice. All right, but, cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for the time and for yeah for the uh, conversation. Yeah, thanks for sharing your experience. And uh, folks, we'll be back next week with another story. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit CacheFly.com to learn more.